0: You know, one story, John's given us a lot more narrative these last couple of chapters here. So a lot of this is, is talking and kind of rehashing the events of what happened to the blind man and how he got his sight back a couple of times. So that's why it seems longer than what it is. But, you know, this is the sixth sign that John is recording for us. And then in chapter 20, he says there's more signs that have happened. There's more things that went on that Jesus did. But he's highlighting certain, certain signs as we go through, because part of it is, so like the Isaiah 42, we read part of that chapter in some other places, you know, that's talking about God's going to restore the sight of the blind, you know, in the prophecy. So this is, this becomes, you know, th- these prophecies are pointing all to Jesus. You know, from, you know, Isaiah's seven to nine hundred years prior to all these events happening. So all these things that are written down way before are now coming true. And so the people who knew this, like the Pharisees, they should have known better. They should have been saying, well, this is exactly what Isaiah was talking about. We're here. This is it. This is the man. This is the guy. And they should have been getting everybody to follow Jesus. But instead, they were the exact opposite. And so... But really, the question is, so, so the question I have for you guys right now is, how much do you guys pay attention to the street signs when you're driving around here in the areas you're familiar with? Like, you just know where to turn, right? You just go down, the, down Broadway, or turn on this road, whatever it is, and say, I, you know, it's Betteravia," right? It's like, no, nope, it's just this street, this light. Because you do it a million times, right? Just, so somebody else, you ask somebody else for directions, you're like, we well, go down to the gas station, turn right, and you're like, which gas station? All right, there's five of them that I got to pass, I need to know a name. I don't know, it's the yellow one. Okay, well, that sort of narrows it down. Right, and so when we moved to Utah, we were looking for houses. So, we, you know, we were moving in, looking for a place to look, so to rent and stuff like that. So we were driving around looking for these places. And so we had addresses. And all, pretty much all of Utah is on a grid system, which is super convenient. Right? You know, it's it's actually like each block is whatever. So over there, though, they have the blocks that are like 3100, 3200, 3300. Makes it a little tricky because like where I grew up was a grid. So like I grew up on 3rd Avenue and 609 3rd Avenue because we lived next to 6th Street. So everything on this side was 6 something and if you went up the next one, it was 7 something. Right, it was on 3rd Avenue. So, similar enough, right, where you can figure it out. And so, all of a sudden, we're going, we're looking for this address, you know, 3200 something or other. So, we know, oh, it's whatever address we should turn on the street. We keep looking, it's like we're looking for 3500 or something like that. And all of a sudden, we go, and it's 32, 33, 100. I know how to count. You know, it shouldn't start over at 100 from 3,300, right? All of a sudden, we're like, what is going on? So all of a sudden, we, we drive around a little bit longer. We start looking at the signs because now we're, now we're trying to figure this out. And this is kind of before GPS, so all we have is a map. And we started looking at the actual street signs on the corners, and we had noticed that they had changed. And all of a sudden, we thought we were in the city of Roy, but now we were in the city of, of Clearfield. And so the street signs changed, but all we were looking at was the numbers and not the actual w- wording of the sign, so we weren't reading the whole sign. So we had to, like, turn around, because apparently somewhere, when we went over the railroad tracks, we had changed cities, right? Because over in Utah, like, all, all around Salt Lake Ogden and all that, it's all pretty much, it's like one giant city, so you just move into these little cities here. And so you, you 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 get so fixated you don't remember you don't you don't read the words because you're just looking at one thing. I was only focused on one thing because that's how I that's how I needed that's what I needed to know. But I needed to know all the information on the sign. And it's kind of what's going on here with these guys is we see this that a lot of times we 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 see signs of God's presence in our lives, but we choose partly because of our spiritual blindness to only read part of the sign, the part that we excuse me we like to read. The part that makes sense to us, the part that gives us uh, maybe a comfort, right? Our blindness makes us chalk things up to coincidence or chance or just luck. Oh, how lucky that I met you here today. You know, out of all the people, all the places to go, here you are. of all the gin joints in the world, right? Here we are at the, you know, the, the, the Casablanca thing. A lot of times we do anything we can to not give credit to God. Oh, you just happen to be here too, huh? Yeah, imagine that. Imagine that. When you when you were praying about something this morning, and here is a person that can help you with this situation, or you help that person with this situation, maybe. It's not coincidence. It's God arranging these meetings to happen because you need something, and you need something, so you, he brings you two together. And so that's what's really happening here in John 9. So John, Jesus is giving clear signs, and John's recording them. You know, Jesus is going through... Living, the living embodiment of fulfillment of prophecy. He already said he's the water, he's the wine, you know, he's, he made water into wine, he's controlling all these natural things, he's healing people, he's already healed somebody else and made him walk that had been paralyzed his whole life. He sat at the festival last week he said, I am the light of the world, you know, saying he's God. He's already given a couple other I am statements, I'm the bread, I'm the life. All these things. And so here he's doing it again where he's controlling and healing something that should not be possible in in anybody's life. You know, without massive extensive surgery. Like we're just now really figuring out how to fix people's eyes. Like I read a thing. Somebody actually had like eye replacement or so. However, they did it. They gave him his sight back somewhat. But because his brain hadn't been. Because your eyes are one part. But there's. The rest of your visual cortex parts, all the way back in your brain, so they have to be exercised to be able to you be used. So that's a pretty interesting part when you see this man has his sight restored, that he didn't just fix his eyes, he fixed everything. Right? And we're we'll going to get down to that part in the amazing, in the, in the third point a little bit with the amazing part. But we see this because Jesus is giving these clear signs, but people have to be willing to read the whole sign. They can't just read the number and go, "Well, this is the right street, but not the right town." I'm just looking for the street, so it's whatever. You know, they're not looking for the entire thing, and so, and unfortunately, some people don't even want to look at the signs. They're like, "No, I'm, no, that's not no. I'm, I'm, I'm not lost. I swear, I'm not lost. I'm just turned around." Right? We've all said that before, right? <clears throat> but the good news for us is that the Holy Spirit acts as our eyes to help us see these things that God puts before us. And we can start putting things in proper perspective and start deciphering the map and where we're at on it. So we're going to read John chapter 1. We'll read the first 12 verses because that sets up the, whole, the rest of the story. As we go through it, we'll, we'll hit some of the highlights. But, you know, it is 41 verses, but we'll, we'll get through it pretty quick. Not that we should rush through it, but we're not gonna believe our certain points. So here's what John tells us. And so there's still the festival, we want to make sure we kind of get the context, there's still the festival. And so Jesus is walking around, and so verse one he says, As he so as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the work of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In verse 6, he says, After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent, So he left, so the man, the blind man. So the blind man left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said he's the one. Others kept saying, No, he looks like, nobody looks like him. Must have been his twin brother. That they had been hidden for however many years. So they asked him, the neighbors asked him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and he told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went, when I went and washed, I received my sight. Well, where is he? They asked. I don't know, he said. Right, so those are the, the words of the Lord, right? So, so we have this situation here where... It's kind of weird in a way that Jesus just spits on the ground, picks up the mud and walks over to him and just starts rubbing mud in his eyes and says, go wash it off in the pool. That's kind of awkward, right? But here, here's the main idea because we see this. So when we have our eyes opened to God, right, when we see the signs, our world is never the same. Our world is never the same when we have our eyes actually open to God because... We have this new information of everything, of who made it, who's doing what, who's, who's in charge of everything. It changes our whole perspective. And so we see this, and what the sign does, if you look at the four points on your bulletin, right? The sign shows us God's ability to do these things. He shows us this, His authority, which shows us that God is amazing, and God shows us His absolution or the, or the forgiveness, right? I was going with the alliteration of A's this week just to make it easier. So we see all this here and this is what this sign really shows of who Jesus is. And so again, this first 12 verses sets up the whole scene. And so we're at the festival. The festival's kind of winding down. Jesus and the disciples are walking around. They see the blind guy and of course they ask, well, who sinned to make this man blind? The parents or the man? How, do, you, do, we think about, do we think like that? We don't necessarily think that somebody's injured or crippled or you know, in a wheelchair or something like that. Like, well, what did you do? You know, who... who what sin did you commit to end up like that? Well, we think you probably had an accident, something happened, whatever, maybe you're born that way. Well, we, don't, we don't automatically go to a sin problem, but see, most of the Jewish people that day did think that sin and suffering were connected. So if you sinned, it caused some kind of ailment or suffering in your life. You know, if you, maybe you lied to your wife and all of a sudden you get a broken arm. Maybe she hit you with a pan, maybe she didn't, I don't know. Right? But but we see this, and I'm not making fun of abuse, but at the same time, like, you know, that could be a coincidental thing, but if you just fell down off a ladder after you lied to your wife, people are like, Well, that's what you get for sinning. Right? That's what you get. Now there may be jokes about other things, but you know that would be that would be their line of thought. And so it's sort of you know, what other people may consider karma. As well, right? So, this line of thinking is going to come back in a few minutes with the, the Pharisees as well as the disciples because everybody's kind of on the same page as that. So, everybody kind of thinks that. So, on one hand, though, in a general sense, this is true, right? So, when sin entered the world, it brought with it its children of sickness and pain and suffering and death because there was none of that in Genesis 1 and 2. But enter Genesis 3 and pass, then we have all these things in here. So, in one sense, it, it, is, it is true, but in the other sense, and this is what Jesus is getting into. It doesn't mean that a specific sin causes a specific situation like the blind man. Right? So not every situation is going to be that reason. Right? And So that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, look, this isn't the reason why. He says the, the man is blind in John uh, 9.3. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works <coughs> excuse me, might be displayed in him. And so maybe a more accurate translation, the word to to do the text would be, maybe this, this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in this man's life. Right? He is here. This is blind. Because of sin entering the world in general, sin, blindness, and things like that happen. So the man was just born blind because of essentially the fall. Everything goes back to that. So there was nothing that anybody did. But... God is going to work it out and give him his sight back here in, in the next few minutes. And again, this isn't that this isn't Jesus or, or Jesus or God are, are putting out the fire that they started. But he's coming here saying, look, I'm going to turn these things into, into good. And so Jesus stops the man, he spits on the ground, picks up the mud, rubs it on his face, and then commands him to go wash in the pool of silo. And so Jesus said that he is the light of the world. And so this is, you know, it carries over from chapter 8. So we have this continuation of reminding people who he is. Right? Because it was I'm the light. He's saying, I'm God. I have control over all these things. And he demonstrates the power of the light in the water. And so the water and the light are key elements of this festival. So he's still playing on people's what they know already, and extending it to what they symbolized. Because the symbol, the sign, is now here on earth for them, with them, and talking to them. And so the pool of the Siloam was actually the pool where the water for the festival was drawn. When they did this big water ceremony, that was actually the pool they took the water from. And so there may be an illusion here with the mud to Genesis 2-7 when God made Adam out of the dirt right he's kind of using the dirt to repair him like let me let me put a little putty on you sand it down it may also be a link to the story of Naaman who was a Syrian general who had leprosy and went to see Elisha and he made Elisha dunk himself in the water for seven days in 2nd Kings chapter 5 right to cure this leprosy because really the following the instructions of going and washing we're part of, the, part of the process. Go and wash yourself. and part of, this, part of the process. And so again, and there may be, some people think that there, there may be an illustration of baptism here for the early church audience that look, it's important to be baptized because it's not just something you do, but it's, it's something you do as a Christian to become a new person to kind of complete that idea. <clears throat> but you see the man obeys the Lord's words and he comes back seeing And he says, I, I, I went washed in the pool, and I came back, and I could see after I got out of the water. And so we see God's power over the natural world, and we think it's just mud and water, but it's God's agency. It's His power to restore this man's sight and the man's willingness to trust God, even though he had no idea who it was, really. He's like, the man Jesus. I maybe heard of him. Maybe I heard him talking the other day, but I don't know. He just went and did it for whatever reason. Maybe... You know, it's a little unconventional. How many? How how would you guys react if somebody walked up and wanted to rub mud in your face, in the middle of the street? You'd probably punch him, right? Like you better get away from me. And then not only that, but hey, go over to the water fountain and jump jump into the pool at the at the mall. But you know, this would actually bring about change. But really, what he's thinking is, is what did he have to lose? He's already blind, so he gets some dirt in his eye. He, can't see it anyway, so who cares? So he's kind of like, what do I what do I have to lose by following God? And so God's power changes him, but these people didn't believe it, right? They kept asking him. So we see this authority in verses 13 through 17. But the crowd's disbelief, which kind of goes into the truth and stuff from last week a little bit. Is this the same guy? No, it looks like him, but it's not. I'm pretty sure it must be his, maybe it was his like I said, right, his hidden twin brother, maybe it's his cousin whatever right they, they, they see this guy every day they're his neighbors no it's not him you saw him this morning you saw him five minutes ago he was blind he was sitting here in front of you now he can see but now you think he's a different guy it makes no sense right other people you think he, that, that he may have been faking it the entire time and they start questioning the parents as they go through the, this, this next part of the chapter they're like was he blind the whole time to his parents they asked him his parents was he blind the whole time was he born like this yes we're his parents we took care of him he's an adult now but you could ask him yourself because he's an adult he's of age that's what that means <clears throat> but others turned it around on Jesus and said he's a sinner because again John gives us this little tidbit of information in chapter 14 right it says the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a sabbath <gasps> it's the sabbath he's working on sabbath what are you guys all doing out on sabbath then that's good. Kind I of, no, it's a festival, so I guess I get a little bit of a pass. But, but all of a sudden, you know, here is this, this he's doing stuff he's not supposed to when he's not supposed to be doing it. So, so, then they, so that's, you know, Jesus is the focus of their ire. They really dislike Jesus, and he's already been saying things, so they really, really just are looking for any reason. And so this, this idea everybody must be on the same page, at least for the Pharisees, that they're different. I think there are different groups of people within the Pharisees there are different Pharisees that are encountering Jesus doing something on the Sabbath every time so it's different groups catching him doing things illegally quote unquote so they keep coming up but they don't hear the rest of the stories or they don't talk to each other so they don't understand that Jesus is God and he is already authorized to heal people when he sees fit and he's not well you've got to make an appointment for tomorrow because tomorrow is not the Sabbath so sorry, come back later. He's doing this for maximum impact because there's all kinds of people around. And so, who Jesus is, and who this man, who the blind man used to be, blind man thinks of Jesus is in, in verse 17. It says, again, they asked the blind man, "What do you say about him since he opened your eyes?" And he says, "He's a prophet." He's a prophet. He's somebody who's making things happen that are unforeseen or unseen until now, right? We we read it in the Old Testament. We read it in our Bible that God is going to restore the sight of people. And here he just did it for me. So this is a direct fulfillment of this time. And so from this man's standpoint, understanding God's work had been done in his life. And the man who carried it out was very, very special. Right. Even if he wasn't the Messiah, he kind of hasn't gotten to that point yet. But he knows he's different. He knows he's special because guess what? The religious people, the Pharisees, haven't done anything for him. Now you guys, I've come here, I've, I've asked for prayers, I've asked to be washed, I've uh, probably all these ceremonies and things, and here I am still blind until a few minutes ago. But this guy walks out, throws mud on my face, tells me to take a bath, and all of a sudden, boom, I'm good. Clearly, he's doing something right, and you're not. Right, that's kind of how he's looking at this. He knew he was special. He just didn't get how special he was yet, but at the, by the end of the chapter he will. And so Jesus already had a bunch of healed a bunch of people. He has the authority to heal these people no matter what day it is. Right? He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He created the Sabbath. It's his day to do what he wants with. Because Jesus will ultimately heal us of sin. Peter says, by his stripes we are healed. The punishment he bore in order to fulfill God's law is something that we understand, kind of, but we truly don't fathom, we can't really fathom what that really means when somebody goes to the cross and bears all of God's wrath on him and he takes it from us. Because that's really what's happening is he's taking the punishment that we would be getting, that we, kinda, we see in Revelation, the, end, the last day, that's what Jesus took Jesus took for us for, the, for his people he took that away he already, he already bared that he, he's, he carried that load for us and so he will heal us of all this sin he already has it's just we have to get over that and have to rely on him more and trust him and so God demonstrated his authority over these diseases and ailments and God's love demonstrated in the cross for you and me Right? That's, that is amazing that he uses his authority for us to be able to take, take away our sin and make us right with him. And so moving to 18, verse 18, right? We see God, this sign shows us that he is amazing. And so again, the man is questioned again through this larger section of the text. So I want to jump down to verse 27. And it's verse 27 through 33. This is kind of the meat of this part of the, of the chapter. And he says, I already told you, right? Because so you're asking, I'm like, well, tell us again. Right, because it's just like kind of the cop shows when they're, well, tell me your story again for the 18th time. I'm going to see if you're lying and making things up. Right, that's really what they're doing. So tell me again what happened. He's like, look, I already told you. I'm not telling you again. You don't listen. right, you didn't listen. This guy's a blind beggar guy. He's yelling, he's basically yelling at the Pharisees, saying, You didn't listen to me already. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? And he kind of thrown that in his face like, hey, look, I'm here. You're not. And they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciples, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. And listen, this is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Because right, the Pharisees are trying to say that Jesus was a sinner. And he's just using some kind of pagan magic trick to make this guy see again. Or they're in cahoots together maybe. Like they play playing this elaborate con. Really long game. Long con, I guess. <clears throat> he says, the man goes on and says, Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not. He wouldn't be able to do anything. This man has special authority from God. If he was a sinner, if he was dirty, if he was tainted, he would not be able to carry, use the, carry out these kind of things. So even this guy, who maybe he just hears the synagogue, he's never seen certain things and everything else, he gets it all of a sudden. He's never read the, the, the Bible. But he knows it. He knows what he experienced. He knows that God has done something amazing. Right? This is an amazing thing. He restored his sight. So he was blind for all his life. Imagine what that means. And imagine what's going on here. He has never seen his parents' face. However old he is, he's probably at least over 20. He has never seen his parents' face until this minute. He may be—he probably heard their voices and recognized them, but he has never actually seen them. He's never seen his own hands. He's never seen a green tree, the brown earth, the dirt, the temple, the pool of asylum where he came out of, right? the blue sky. He's never seen any of this until today. Imagine what that means when he says, this is amazing. You know, if you've had your eyesight taken away for even a minute or two, you know what that's like. But imagine you've never seen the green tree, the green grass and everything else. All of a sudden, bam. And afterwards, right, he is seeing everything. He finally gets to put a voice, a face with the voices of the Pharisees, like, I know you, okay. Right, because you know, you, we know we can recognize people's voices and things like that. But now he's like, ah, it makes sense why you're a weasel. You look like a weasel. <laughs> right, because sometimes people look like they sound. <clears throat> and so you can see how he's defining amazing so he's not just saying, like, this is really cool. This is actually amazing. Like, and we get, we overuse that word, but this is really what it is. And so all of this is made possible by God's power, his grace, and his nature. Again, he didn't swoop down and put on a fire. He is taking a bad situation and turning it good. So Romans 8, 28 through 31, right, Paul says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. This is a thing working together for good. He gets his eyesight back. Who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And then those who he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And Paul says, what then are are we to say about these things if God is for us who is against us? And this is exactly what the Pharisees are asking this man to do. Choose sides. Are you going to be a follower of Jesus? The charlatan? The, the sinner? And the guy's like, well, he gave me my eyesight back. You guys are the wrong ones. You guys are on the wrong side. You guys are choosing the wrong side. Right, And he chooses, the blind man chooses God. The man understands who Jesus is without knowing the prophecies about him. He's never, you know, he's never set, he may have set foot in the synagogue, but he couldn't see things. He didn't really see everything. But you see, the Pharisees have read and studied and memorized these prophecies. And they've been told how to read these signs there's probably a class like okay looking for the Messiah here's the things to look for so when this dude shows up doing these things he might be the guy and we got to make sure that we're not just falling for everybody doing it and of course on one hand they're trying to be accurate so we'll give them the benefit of the doubt where they're trying to make sure that he's not a false Messiah but the false Messiah people are doing things because they're empowered by Satan they're they're usually they're doing things that aren't don't require this level of, of skill or power essentially. You know they're doing things that are shady. But instead, they want to drive around lost. They want to read the map and not actually know where they're at. They're like, well, I think I'm over here, and they really they're over here. They are angry at the man. He's like, who are you you're calling us out? What are you doing? What authority do you have? You're calling us out. You were born entirely of sin, verse 34 says. They replied, and then you are trying to teach us. So what do they do? Of course, what every mature adult does, get out of here. Get out of my house. Get out of my church. Get out. You're no longer Jewish. You're excommunicated. So they, this guy got his sight back, and now he's Excommunicated. So he gains things and he loses things. But the man doesn't know exactly who Jesus is, but he he has an inkling. But Jesus circles back to kind of close everything up and explain it a little more. And so this is where the forgiveness and everything else comes in here in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. right? They excommunicated him. And when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? All right, so the Son of Man is the term for the Messiah. Right? It's one of the, the titles. Right? So it's not just, do you believe in a guy? It's, do you believe in the Messiah? And this term here, really believe, right? This is that word, that pistos word, the Greek word. kind of has a couple different ranges of, of usage. So it doesn't just like, do you think he exists? Right? Like, do you believe in the tooth fairy? Like, they're going to bring you money for teeth. But it's, do you put your trust in him? Are you trusting in me, is what he's asking this guy. And so why is this important? Why is he asking him this question? Because he just went from this high of gaining his sight to a low of being excommunicated from the synagogue. So the man may be regretting his decision. Why? Because when you're excommunicated from the synagogue, that means nobody can come and hang out with you and visit you. So you've just lost your family... If they want to be good law-abiding Jews because of well, you're excommunicated, we can't talk to you. You're an apostate. So gonna, you won't get to come over to Thanksgiving anymore. Period. I don't care. You've got to figure it out. Right? And this isn't just like picking a team for the Super Bowl, who, who, who you think is going to win, right? The synagogue is an integral part of his life and he's cut off from everything. He's cut off from his family. He's cut off from all these things. And so he's reading these signs going, hmm, what do I do now? Did I just make the wrong decision by choosing Jesus? So Jesus comes in and says, "Look, you know, in a nutshell, no, you didn't make the wrong. You made the right decision." He's like, "Look, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? Right? We got to trust the GPS, but it takes you down the road. Right? I think I've told it before. We were coming back from Chico or somewhere, Mantica, and..." There's one way to get kind of the major roads you get back on on I-5 and it's easy and it looks safe and nice and everything else. And there's other country roads that take you past orchards and farms and, you know, might be a horror movie kind of situation if you end up in the wrong place. And so the GPS is taking you to the fastest route to the 5, which is cutting off a lot of stuff. But you're like, where am I going? And now it's too late because now I'm lost. I don't have a map. So I got to trust it. I got to figure it out. Okay. I trust you, Susie, get us there. And so this is what he's saying. He's like, look, trust me. I will take you to the highway. I will take you the whole way to heaven because I'm God and I know where everything's at. And so Jesus has come to make people righteous. He came to make the blind see and to free the captives like we talked about last week that are held by sin. He is here. He came here to free you and me. You have to admit, though, that you're a follower of Jesus, not just in private, but also in public. Right? Luke 12.8 says, "As And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Because at some point, somebody's going to ask you, why don't you do such and such? Why don't you go to this place? Or why don't you come and do this like you used to? And you've got to tell them, I don't do it because I'm a Christian. I have changed. I, God has changed me because my life here is more amazing than over here doing whatever you guys are doing. But if you want to talk about it, I can. We can have a discussion. But that's why. So at some point, you're going to tell people you're a Christian. You can't just hide it, and nor should you. And so the Pharisees over here, this public declaration, they hear this conversation and Jesus' instruction. They're like, "Hmm, did we mess up? Are we?" Hey Jesus, what do you mean? What do you mean we're blind? We aren't blind too, are we? They say in verse forty, are we? Are you talking about us? Jesus is like, what do you think? Right? He's like, you guys are dummies. Yes, I'm talking about you. You're blind. They didn't really want salvation, though. They didn't want to be blind. They just didn't want to be blind or look ignorant. And so their pride causes their blindness and kind of increases their blindness. And unfortunately, that's just the way, of, the way of it for many people. They have seen the same signs, but they just don't want to go that step further. Because these people will lose their jobs. The Pharisees walk in there and go, hey, you know what? I just, Jesus is the Messiah. They're having a big meeting, probably right? Jesus is the Messiah. They're like, get out. You get out. Go hang out with the blind guy who can see now. You two are two peas in a pod. We don't need you here because you're not towing the company line. You're doing it wrong. We've all agreed that he's not the Messiah. That's it. So that's part of the reason these people, they live in fear and they didn't want to make the jump because they were happy in their ignorance or happy in their blindness because it's just easier to go along than it is to swim against the current. So wrapping it up, right? When the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, we get new eyes so we can read the signs. And a lot of times when you start looking backwards in your life, you start going, oh yeah, okay, God was there, God was there, God was there, God was there, God really was there because I was a complete idiot. And he kept me safe and I was lucky not to die. And I'm here, he did all these things because I'm here now to do these things. right? So we see this progression of what he's doing in our lives because he has them written down for us. And the more we look back and the more we learn, the better we can understand what to look for. We start paying attention to the signs. They're not just coincidental. We know which ones, we know to read the entire sign as well. So not just the street address, but the actual town we're in too. And we can find the things a lot quicker. So here's, here's how we do this, right? So when we read God's signs, we learn who He is, what He can do, and what He has done. Right. We see this as we get smarter about it. We learn everything. We, we're learning more and more about God each time we see these things. We learn what he can do, what he's capable of, which is anything. It's, he made this blind man see with mud and water. He can do anything. He conquered death. He can do anything. In and, and, and each of our lives, we may have this, a similar story of what would be a, a an amazing thing in our lives that he did for us. And secondly, after we can read it, the second part is when we know what to look for, we can help others see and then read the signs also. We get to act as guides or interpreters, tourists, right? We are tour guides and say, look, over here we have this and this is what God did. See, this is what it looks like. So this this is what it might be in your life. You have something similar going on, so it might be something similar. So stay the course, right? This is God working in your life. Because we have the experience as well. We have that experience we can pass on to somebody else that may be in the middle of that storm and going, I don't know what this means. You can say, oh, the same thing happened to me a couple years ago. And this is how, this is what happened. This is where I came out at the end of it. And so we have the Gospels also to help us decipher the road signs of the Old Testament because Jesus is the key to understanding everything in there. Jesus was standing here in front of the crowd and the man who was blind could now see and he could see clearer than ever both literally and figuratively. <clears throat> but you had people who had all the knowledge but they couldn't read the signs they were standing the sign the sign Jesus was literally standing in front of them and they just were like Psh. you know it's, that's that you're wrong I'm right okay God I'll argue with God every day sure no problem. So the question I have, though, is that are your eyes open? Right? Are your eyes open to these things? Or do you need to clear them off of the sand and dirt of the world, right? When you're, when you're out, you get dirt in your eyes, right? It's, it's, your eyes just get dirty just from living here, so we have to clear them out every once in a while. And hopefully that happens here every week where we kind of get, we kick a bath, get all the stuff out so we can see clearly for the week because that stuff will accumulate quickly. And it's easy to think, go back to the world's thinking of this is just coincidence. This is just whatever. Or, man, I'm burning a lot of gas just driving around looking for somewhere to go. When if you cleared everything out, you could say, oh, I need to go that way. Because being human, we will always need to rely on the Holy Spirit to keep our eyes open. Right? That's why we pray. That's why we read the Bible. it's why we come here. it's why we tell people our problems and share, share what we've done, our experiences, because the Holy Spirit is here to help us keep our eyes open. And clear away anything that might be blocking our view of God. Right, that is what we're here to do. We need to keep our view, our windshield clean so we can see God all the time. In our, in our, so we can go forward with him. So as we go out this week, as we are going into the world, hopefully your eyes have been cleaned today. And you can go out and keep them clean. And, and help other people point them in the right direction. So as we sing our last couple songs today.